Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Fight Island 5, Marlon Marais versus Corey Sanhagen. And Shaq is going down this Saturday night in Yas Island, Abu Dhabi, Fight Island. You got the output king, Corey Sanhagen, taking on the head kick king, Marlon Marais, uh, number one versus number four. I know uh, there's some title implications on the line, my man. This is a really big fight in the Bantamweight division. Yeah, I mean... In a sense, you could say both guys are looking to get back on track, even though Marlon Marais won his last fight. But I know for whatever reason, the majority of people think that he lost that fight, even though I'm in the minority, I think he won. But some people say he hasn't been able to recover since the Cejudo fight, even though he's had one fight in Sanhagen. You know, he got tapped out in, in, in you know, pretty much effortless fashion against uh, the number one contender, Aljamain Sterling, his last fight. So I know he's looking to redeem himself. And if he could get this win, I mean, hey, he's right. He's right back in there in line for a title shot. So uh, this is a very, very important fight. You know, I was going to save this for my main event breakdown, but since you brought up the Aldo fight, can I just bring up the fact that, yes, Jose Aldo won the second round against Marlon Marais. You know who else Jose Aldo won the second round against Shaq? Peter Yan. So, I mean, just because Jose Aldo might not ever touch gold again doesn't mean that he's not a tough competitor. doesn't mean he's not still a very, uh, you know, hard guy to compete against. Yeah, 100%. Look, I know he's not going to touch a belt, but that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy fight. <laughs> like, that doesn't mean it's you're not going to take blows and punches as well. Like, he's going to he's going to crack you too. Like, you have to Look, I know I remember when uh he fought Moicano or Jeremy Stevens. Like, you saw what happened to those guys. So, you know, uh yeah, man, Peter Yan, the champ, man. That guy in my opinion, is a is a step a, above everyone else. It's unfortunate my boy Henry Cejudo had to retire. I knew he was making a big mistake uh, <laughs> with that, uh, you know, that situation. But hey, it is what it is. But now Peter Yan's the champ, and and we got a lot of new contenders, man. Yeah, I mean, look, aside from the paycheck, honestly, like I respect the fact that you know he went out on top because you see these guys like Tyron Woodley. And it's like, dude, like it's alarming seeing like what they're doing these days. You know what I mean? Like he's going out here losing 15 straight rounds. That's over an hour of octagon time. At least Henry didn't let it get to that point. Henry I mean, decided, hey, champ, champ, I'm going out on top. I mean, and when you say 15 straight rounds, they kind of have to make it like set, like maybe even 20 because because like some of those are 10 eight rounds. So it's like <laughs> you know, that kind of counts for like two, you know. Yeah, it was uh it's truly something to behold. But yeah, there's a lot to talk about in this card. Great card. Uh two quick housekeeping notes. Got to give a quick shout out to the Braves uh for making it to the championship series this is the first time in 19 years, Shaq, that they get past the divisional series and now now the fun begins. There's no more easy battles with the Marlins and the Reds. Now we got uh the Dodgers, so we're we're really about to see what the deal is. So, shout out to the Braves representing Atlanta and then also uh want to let you all know today's my birthday and the reason why i want to let you all know that is because the only thing i want for my birthday is for y'all to hit that subscribe button and that like button i truly appreciate it now Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the flyweight division we got a matchup between ufc newcomer tajir ulanbekov he's 12 and 1 and bruno bulldog silva is 10 and 5 currently they got Tajir Ulanbekov minus 410. The comeback on Bruno Bulldog is plus 330. So, interesting fight, man. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Ulanbekov's got the reputation of being one of uh, Khabib's former training partners. He's arguably undefeated. I, I thought he beat Zalgas, but 
I'll say this though, man. In a three-round fight, he lost his August 29-28. In a five-round fight, I thought he won 48-47. They didn't see it his way. It is what it is. As far as Bruno Bulldog is concerned, I know he's motivated for this fight, man. He's in fantastic shape. You see the kind of shape this kid is in. He's he's going to show up for this fight. You know, did the camp with Fight Ready with Henry Cejudo. This is going to be the best Bruno Bulldog we've ever seen, but is the best Bruno Bulldog we've ever seen enough to come out here and beat Ulan Bekov? Man, so it's actually pretty funny. So, you know, first glance, I was thinking uh, Bruno Silva versus Russian. It's pretty much, you know, more than likely an automatic L for Bruno and out the door, I'm thinking. But then, you know, when I really sat down and watched uh, Tagir, man, I really wasn't that impressed, to be honest. I think he's one-dimensional with the grappling. Like you said, lost to Zalgos, even though I thought thought he won that fight. But I... I Zalgas gave Paiva a good fight, but Zalgas, like, yes, I understand, like, Paiva was out there by himself, like, fucking, you know, I know it, on paper Zalgas looks like a solid opponent, but, you know, uh, the jury's still out on that guy, uh, you know, so I feel like Tagir is very one-dimensional, and, and, you know, I don't view him as, like, a Sai type of Russian or, uh, you know, I just feel like he's a, <laughs> a tough grappler who's looking to get the takedowns, and Bruno Silva, like you said, and to be honest, I, I kind of jumped the gun. Like, I, I usually say, you know, come on here and say Bruno Silva's a bum. You know, he went to split decision with a guy with, you know, one leg and, you know, this and that. And, you know, uh, but like, you know, his first, his, t- his uh, UFC opponents, man, have been tough. I mean, you're talking Khalid Taha, who's a, a big power hitter at 135, who's actually fighting Jack Shore coming up. And then, uh, David Dvorak, man, who's he gave him a good fight. It wasn't like he got his, you know, ass beat or anything. Like it was, it came down to the wire. Dvorak slightly edged it. So I feel like, man, it could, it could actually be a closer fight than the line indicates. And I actually do think it'll be a closer fight than it indicates, as in Bruno Silva might possibly weasel around, you know. But man, I just feel like, you know, in Abu Dhabi, the Russian connection, if it's close. Tagir is probably going to edge it, but I don't think he, honestly, his skill set warrants this type of line, but we'll see, man. I, I, I'll i pick him for the win, but Bruno Silva, he's got to be hungry. His job's on the line. He's had a tough, uh, first two tough opponents. I think this is a step down, so we'll see. Yeah, look, I'll just say this. If his name was Tajir Johnson instead of Tajir Ulanbekov, the line would be a lot closer, uh, no no doubt about it. And I think Bruno Silva's going to show up, but does that mean he's going to win? I don't know. Because, look, back in the day, I know you remember he went to a draw with Casey Kenny, and he's had glimpses and moments here and there. So I'll feel happy for the guy if he's able to come out here and get this upset. And I also won't be surprised. But I got to lean with the Russian. He's slightly bigger than Bruno Silva. He's actually a pretty big boy for the weight class. He's got some decent wrestling, too. Um, but, yeah, at the current line, it's a dog or pass situation. But I'll, I'll slightly edge the favorite uh, to get it done. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Tracy Cortez. She's 7-1. and one, And Stephanie Egger is 5-1. and one. Currently, they got Tracy Cortez minus 185. The comeback on Stephanie Egger is plus 160. So... Interesting because it's uh, wrestling versus judo, you know, uh, Tracy Cortez being the wrestler, Stephanie Egger being the judo player, and Stephanie Eggers does some good stuff on the grappling scene. I know everyone's talking about this uh, Gabby Garcia match, uh, and look, I'll give her all the credit in the world, and if this was a pure grappling match, I might have a different opinion, but this is not a pure grappling match. You know, pulling guard in an MMA fight isn't exactly something you want to advise someone to do, Shaq, unless you know for a fact she's going to come out here and get that arm bar. 
But like in a jujitsu match, you know, with a rash guard or even with the Gion, pulling guard isn't that big of a deal. But in MMA against a wrestler, it's a big no-no. So I, I don't know, man. Um, I mean, I most likely see Tracy Cortez coming out here, getting the takedowns, winning this decision. But, you know, at this kind of price, I'd probably just stay away altogether. You know, hey, look, I got to give Edgar some credit. You know, she's beat, you know, some UFC vets on a regional scene. Granted, it was Mara Romero Barella who ended up going like two and five in the UFC. But, hey, at least we know she can beat her. You know you know what I mean? So at least that's a step in the right direction. But uh, I'll lean with Tracy Cortez. I think that wrestling is better than than uh, than judo, at least, uh, and at, le- at least as far as MMA is concerned. But just don't, you know. Don't do anything stupid. I think that Tracy Cortez is still kind of green herself. I still think that she's got some room to grow as well. So I wouldn't go crazy at the betting window, but I'll I'll, I'll slightly edge uh, the favorite here. Yeah, man, it's uh, I I pretty much agree with everything you say. The the thing I'm kind of curious about here is like you know Cortez is the prospect. You know she won on Contender Series. She fought in in Invicta a few times. This girl Edgar actually fought in Invicta and lost to uh, Alexa Connors uh, a few years ago and pretty much uh, all her other fights are on the, the Euros. And she made a career off beating O&O, you know. I'm a little skeptical about how uh, how much confidence people are putting into Edgar this week. I mean, I mean, Cortez, from what I understand, opened up a, a hefty favorite. You know, now it's like, you know, m- you know, medium range. Like, I'm not convinced this girl Edgar is going to be able to compete. Now, Cortez... When she was, I see a fight, a fight against uh, Aaron Blanchfield, who's actually, I think she's fighting Pearl Gonzalez, you know, uh, where she did get on her back and she didn't get up. And it was a big round for her opponent. But, you know, offensively wrestling wise, she's pretty good. I got to go with Cortez here. I just have a feeling that people are putting too much, uh, you know, uh, stock on Stephanie Egger. Like she's a little older. I know she. Uh, it's got the judo background, but I just feel like the opponents, or maybe because I know she's only beaten Vanessa Mello, but in the UFC, that experience, I think, is uh, going to carry. So I got Cortez. Well, now it gets really fun, Shaq, because next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Jiga Chikadze. He's 10-2, and two, and Omar Morales is 10-0. and 0. Currently, they got Omar Morales minus 155. The comeback on Jiga Chikadze is plus 135. Shaq, I mean, what a fucking fight we got here. Uh, two studs, two former kickboxers that really transitioned into MMA nicely. I mean, I, I got nothing but good things to say about both these guys. Uh, where, where do you even start while handicapping a fight like this, man? What do you think? Yeah, man, it's a great matchup, and it's unfortunate because uh... – I like both of these guys. I mean, man, I've been I've been knowing about both. The, man, I met Giga Chikadze a few years ago in person, you know, when, when he wasn't even a UFC fighter, you know, when he was still a kickboxer. So, you know, uh, and then Omar Morales, he was supposed to fight Rob, you know, like we've been knowing about him uh, even before he got to UFC. So, yeah, man, it's a good fight. Omar's dropping the 45s. I'm interested to see how he looks. I know he takes the sport very seriously. You know, he's not a young prospect. He's like 34, 35, so he's a lot more mature, uh, undefeated. I honestly think Omar has the skills to uh, fight with some of the top guys, and now we got a, a matchup with two prospects. Look, I see if Omar, you know, makes the weight, which I which I do expect he will, you know, I I feel like this is a matchup of, you know, a little slightly slower, methodical, more powerful Omar Morales versus, 
you know, slightly sharper, more dynamic, looser Giga Chikaze. And it's going to be a, who, uh, uh, you know, a battle of can Omar rough Giga up and move forward and get better as the fight progresses? Because we've seen Chikaze kind of fade late in pretty much all his fights against Brandon Davis. He lost the third round against Emers. He lost the third round pretty big. Uh, then he had the fight with uh, Erwin Rivera, you know, it was a bantamweight. So, but like in those two uh, first fights, especially, he definitely lost the third round big. And we know we remember what happened in the third round against uh, Austin Springer on Dana White Contender Series. So it's safe to say that Giga Chikaze, with all that dynamic kicking ability and that left kick that he fatigues, and that's just because the style is so dynamic. But there is a chance he gets off to a very good lead because, man, when he's fainting and faking like that, you know, those type of kickboxers, man, they can uh, – and he's more – he's getting more experience in MMA, man. He's getting more comfortable in his grappling, and I highly doubt Omar Morales is going to be shooting any takedowns in this fight. So, man, I, I feel like it's a, a pass fight for me. I, I slightly, you know, lean Omar just because I feel like Omar is a little tougher. Not saying that Giga's not tough, but I just feel like Omar is a real true Latin warrior that's willing to stand toe-to-toe and eat whatever shots he has to. And, and I mean, look at all his fights, man. Uh, his kicks are super hard. I'm not saying that he kicks harder than Giga Chikaze, but I feel like his basic uh, right kick, man, can can carry him through the entire fight. I know Giga likes to throw a bunch of different ones, but, man, I feel like Omar Morales, man, just has some a very strong fundamentals, uh, slightly better cardio, in my opinion, and, and is getting better fight to fight, man. And, and I feel like, you know, he might struggle early, but I see him getting better in that second and third round and really start to hurt Chikadze, man. And I think he's going to pick up the win. So I'm going to go with Omar Morales to remain undefeated. Yeah, man, this is uh, such a such a good fight. I mean, if you think that Giga Chikadze is just some, you know, kickboxer trying to transition to, and, into MMA and that you can just take him down one time and the fight's going to be over, like, I think you might have another thing coming because he truly is evolving his game and he's not neglecting any areas i mean when you train with a guy like benil dariush a serious black belt like that every single day look jujitsu might not become your strong suit but i mean it's at least going to catch up it's at least going to get better and that's what he's been doing i mean he's stuffing the takedowns better these days he's getting back up from bottom he's even threatening with submissions of his own so i see the evolution in his game i mean you compare that contender series fight to his ufc fights and it's night and day so i this is not a gokan saki situation where look all, all the respect in the world to you know the kickboxing legend gokan saki but he wasn't able to make that transition to MMA successfully, you know, and, and you've seen a bunch of other guys where it just doesn't translate, but it's translating with Giga Chikazi. So all the respect in the world, and obviously that Giga kick, you already know the deal with that Giga kick. It sounds like a fucking uh, baseball bat to the ribs. But Omar Morales is uh, a guy I got a lot of respect for, too. Uh, very, very physical. I don't think he's going to have any issues making weight. In fact, I think he's going to look shredded. I think he's going to look ripped. And wh when you talk about a true Latin warrior, like you mentioned, man, when you, when you think about the fact that this guy moved from Venezuela to the United States with the sole goal of, you know, chasing a dream, he probably didn't have much money in his pocket. Like, this isn't the kind of guy who's going to be, you know, at the McDonald's drive through fucking off. This isn't the kind of guy who's going to be uh, skipping practice. Like, Omar Morales, uh, he, he takes this shit seriously. So I see it being a very close fight. Uh, 
I slightly edge Morales because I think that if shit does start to get kind of sketchy on the feet, he might be able to mix in a takedown or two. Not necessarily dominate on the map, but just kind of edge it out a little bit. But, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what to do at the betting window, so I'm just going to sit back and watch, you know, two of my favorite uh, featherweight prospects go at it. I think it should be a hell of a fight. I slightly edge uh, Omar on this one. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Ali Al-Casey. He's 8-4, and four, and Tony Kelly is 7-2. and two. Currently, they got Tony Kelly minus 230. The comeback on Ali Al-Casey is plus 190. So this is another interesting fight, man. Uh, so Ali Al-Casey, he's a very tough guy. I, I think that he's kind of stiff in the stand-up shack and... I think his best, uh, you know, the best part of his game is his takedowns. Now, with that being said, though, his top control wasn't that great in his UFC debut. You know, Erwin Rivera was able to, you know, scramble back up to the feet. And then also in Ali Al-Casey's regional fights, he made a couple no-nos that aren't going to fly in the UFC. Like, for example, going for guillotines, and then when the opponent passes guard, he's still hanging on to the neck. You know, that's asking for a Von Flew to happen at the UFC level. So I still feel like he's got to get some more experience. But you could say similar things about Tony Kelly. You know, he needs a little more seasoning too. But the thing with him that I like is that even in a loss to a much bigger man and to a serious prospect in uh, Kai Kamaka, he went out there and he, he attempted 300 strikes and he officially landed over 100 significant strikes in his UFC debut. Like, that, that's a very good sign. And I feel like while this fight stays standing, there's going to be a big strike differential in this fight. This is the kind of matchup DraftKings players love because if Al Casey wins, he's going to get takedowns. But if if uh, Tony Kelly wins, he's going to come out here and put up a significant strike uh, record. So I, I got to go with Tony Kelly here. I don't think that Ali Al Casey has the top control to control Tony Kelly. So I think he might get a takedown or two, but I think uh, Tony Kelly can scramble back up. And then on the feet, that's where the big advantage is going to come. He's going to mix in the calf kicks. He's going to just, for every five strikes that uh, that Tony Kelly lands, it's only going to be one or two coming back from uh, Ali Al Casey. So I think that's going to be the difference. I got uh, Tony Kelly probably by unanimous decision here. Yeah, man. I think this is uh, this fight is pretty much a case of... Uh, you got Al Kasi, who a very tough guy, but I feel like it's pretty clear to see where his ceiling is. I mean, it's you know, like there's nothing about him. Like you said, he's a little stiff. He moves a little bit on the older side. A very basic game, straightforward game. He's either looking to get the takedowns or you know, just basic boxing in the pocket, man. As where I feel like Tony Kelly. Uh, although he lost, and look, Alcazi had a good showing. It wasn't like he got his ass beat against Aaron Rivera either. I mean, it was a, a close fight that came down to the wire, but he slowed. And, uh, you know, he started, he got cut open bad, and, you know, he kind of just uh, fatigued as the fight got on. Now, Tony Kelly, Kamaka, man, that dude, that dude, man, that dude's left hook was money, man. That dude, uh, keep an eye out for Kai Kamaka. That dude hits really hard. I know he's uh, Ray Cooper's homie, so, you know, uh, I like a, I'm a big fan of Ray Cooper's as well. So, uh, yeah, that fight, man, it was just a higher level fight, in my opinion, uh, at 145 pounds. And look, Tony Kelly, look, he's only got, what, seven fights, five and two, uh, lost to Kamaka, lost to uh, Kevin Aguilar. But, man, he's there against some good guy for this amount of fights in his career. I feel like this fight is his for the taking. I feel like, like you said, he's more, and he just has a more wider arsenal, the knees, the elbows, 
close the closing. Now he's dropping to 35, which I know he's having a hard exercise even more. So I feel like the cardio is going to be there. And, you know, that last fight with Kamaka for a short notice fight, man, I thought he displayed fairly good cardio because a lot of guys, man, Kamaka's hitting them to the body like that with that left hook and them kicks, man, I feel like they would have folded. And, and he's definitely got that, uh, you know, that Louisiana spirit like my boy uh, Dustin Poye. So here, get the win. Land a different, uh, wider array of strikes against Akazi while Akazi's just going to be looking to press and, uh, you know, hug with the takedowns, man. So I feel like Tony Kelly, this is his fight. And I feel like he's actually going to finish Akazi somewhere along the way. So I got uh, Tony Kelly. And next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Impa Kasangane. He's 8-0. and And Joaquin Buckley is 10-3. and Currently, they got Impa Kasangane, minus 250. The comeback on Joaquin Buckley is plus 210. Uh, Shaq, I know the fans that have the battle know we've been high on Impa Kasangane for a very long time. Uh, you know, we saw him fight in Atlanta against Tubbs. He was only 4-0 at the time. I don't know how the hell that fight was a split decision. Uh, he clearly won that fight, but... He's the kind of kid that, you know, we talk about these guys with 10 or less pro fights making these big improvements every single time we see them, and that's true. But with him, the improvements are, like, astronomic because, like, this isn't just some ordinary guy that's had less than 10 pro fights. This is a guy that's from Congo, and, and he's not just a physical freak, but he's very intelligent, too. You know, he's got a bachelor's in finance and accounting. You hear him talk. He's a very smart guy. He's a brilliant kid. Like, I, I hear him talk. I'm like, God damn. Like, this is a unique individual. And I think he's got the fight IQ. I think that he's got the physical tools. And you compare, you know, when you want to talk about improvements, let's let's compare his second contender series fight to his UFC debut, which is only like a month apart. And he looks like a different guy every single time we see him fight. And, look, I like Joaquin Buckley as a fan, you know, um, Anytime you got a fighter that's going to go out there and just throw big bombs, like, hey, as a fan, I, I love to see it. But as a betting man, I, I-, I think that he's kind of like a club fighter. I think he's kind of like an NFC main event type fighter. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, he's very exciting to watch, but there's not much depth to his game. You know, if the big bombs aren't working, then what? You know what I mean? Like, is he going to come out here and mix in takedowns? Is he, you know, going to throw head kicks? Like, like what's going to happen if the big bombs don't work for Joaquin Buckley? I just don't feel like there's a plan B or a plan C. Whereas with Impa Kasangane, if you bet on Impa and he decides to go out there and stand and bang with him, like, maybe that's not the ideal scenario. But I think he can hang there, too. But if for whatever reason that doesn't work, he can pin him up against the fence in the clinch. He can mix in takedowns. He's just got so many different ways to win this fight and I want to take it a step further Shaq when you talk about throwing big bombs like isn't that what like Mackie Patolo's known for you know what I mean I just feel like Mackie's a better version of what Joaquin brings to the table even though Joaquin might be a southpaw and this and that it doesn't matter I feel like Mackie is more experienced Mackie is a more dangerous opponent and I felt like Impa handled the the tough brawler really well I feel like there's honestly a step down in competition and this is no disrespect I like Joaquin he's fun to watch but I'm very high on Impa. I think one day he could be a future top 15 guy. And this is just one step closer up the ladder. So I got Impa via do- a very dominant uh, win here. Yeah, man. Uh, I uh, I agree, man. Impa can sagonize since the time I saw him fight Tubbs. Look, it wasn't the most entertaining fight, but, you know, uh, he got the job done. And I, from what I understood, he had at the time he had only been pro for like a few months. So, you know, uh, <laughs> It was it 
was quite, I was like, damn, this guy. And then he made it to contender series shortly after one is like a huge plus 400 underdog against some dude that uh, made sports center top 10 plays the uh, fight previously before that. And, he, you know, he ended up breaking that guy. The thing I like about Kasagi, he's a grinder, man. Like, dude will break you, you know, that that physicality. And, you know, this matchup with Buckley, I feel like is right up his alley. Like you said, Buckley's fun to watch. He'll swing. Yeah, I give him that. But like you said, what else? What is he going to press with the takedowns? Is he going to submit me off his back? Like, is he going to – I feel like the, the, the tougher matchups for Impa are going to be – the guys with, you know, sharp, fast striking on the outside that, you know, maybe throw knees up the middle or it's going to be a, it's going to have to be a more complex guy than Joaquin Buckley. I mean, that's your game plan to swing with Impa. I mean, good, good luck with that. You know, I mean, I, I feel like if Impa wants to swing with him, we can swing, but Impa's not going to do that. And like you said, the kid's mental. I mean, he thinks, uh, he thinks a little bit differently. And I, I think he's got that mean streak in him, man. Like, he's breaking these guys, man. He's taking these guys down. I know you remember the, those knees to the body on the contender series against uh, Anthony Adams where he was uh, – those GSP knees, like, you remember that he was doing on uh, – who, who who did uh, GSP do that on? Was it Matt Serra? Matt Serra. Yeah. So, like, I feel like uh, Impacasagana is going to honestly just – out will Joaquin Buckley. I feel like he can press him against the cage. Uh, Joaquin Buckley, I don't think he has the chin to kind of complete this style. You know, there's this guy, his uh, fight in LFA, he knocked that dude out, but he actually fought that dude previously, and he got knocked out against that guy. And that Kevin Holland fight, man, that was a vicious knockout, a, a more vicious knockout because his leg got folded back. And, you know, I just feel like he hasn't really, you know, I know he fought Logan Storley in Bellator and got laid on for three rounds. And, you know, I just feel like he, like you said, might be a club fighter, man. I'm not sure if he's ready for this type of level yet. So I'm going to go with the Impact of Saginaw. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Rodrigo Nascimento. He's 8-0. and And Chris Dacus is 9-3. and Currently, they got Rodrigo Nascimento minus 260. The comeback on Chris Dacus is... Plus, uh, plus two twenty. Shaq, you know what's interesting? When we first broke down the last Chris Dawkins fight, I was talking about how usually with brother tandems, there's the good brother and uh, the shitty brother. But interestingly enough, it's Chris Dawkins that has a UFC win and not Kyle Dawkins. So you know, uh, I-, I bet they're giving each other shit about that. But that being said, man, two black belts here, and you know. Me and you were on the phone the other day. You brought up a very good point. You said that Chris Dacus uh, has actually been slimming down a little bit. He's been losing some weight. So that's something you like to see. Seems like he's been taking it a lot more seriously. Seems like, you know, some of those past fights, it might not be the same guy anymore. But that being said, Rodrigo Nascimento is very impressive in that debut. So who do you think wins uh, this heavyweight fight? Yeah, man, I feel like it's a, a good heavyweight fight. Young young prospects. Nascimento, I mean. Not much bad to say about him. I mean, he's handled everyone accordingly. You know, it seems like a good ground player. Um, I mean, he's that dude he fought on contender series. He took him down, submitted him, and Dante Mays, he handled him accordingly. So there's really not too much I know about Nascimento as far as, you know, what happens if he gets pushed or, you know, his opponents, he's pretty much ran through them all. I feel like Dacus has more lot has uh, losses, but I feel like he's more experienced and fought tougher competition. You know, uh, I know the Brazilian heavyweight scene, you know, just uh, from history, you know, Marcelo Gome and, 
you know, uh, so just knowing some of these dudes, like, they, they might appear super hyped, you know, from first sight, but, you know, uh, the farther you go, there was another one too, man, I'm, uh, Junior Albini, yeah, Junior, remember my boy, <laughs> Junior Baby, <laughs> remember he was supposed to be the next uh, heavyweight prospect, remember that, that stun he pulled against Arlovsky when he wouldn't throw? <laughs> How could I forget? But yeah, man, I feel like, uh, yeah, so I feel like uh, Doc is, you know, when he lost to Anzu, he, I mean, that was a fight he was winning. He, I mean, he had Anzu wobbled all over the place. I think he just gassed out. And, I mean, when you look at his size back then, man, he, he was a big, uh, big belly guy. Now he's 16 pounds. So I do think from here on forward, uh, we're going to be seeing the best version of Chris Dacus. Um, man, I just feel like, you know, I'm not going to say, like, Nascimento is a fraud because I, I don't think he's a fraud. I think he's good. I just haven't seen him necessarily in a real fight i Dante mays look uh, is athletic but Dante mays has no ground game and he, you know Dante mays i mean we've been seeing Dante fight forever man like Dante mays is you know let's see if he can be felipe Lins, you know but hey i think uh you know uh, i just feel like this is a more even playing field than the line indicates the way Dawkins looked at last fight i know it was parker porter but hey I, it's even to me man parker porter uh you know, was the favorite, and Chris Dacus went out there and absolutely smoked him. That, that wasn't that wasn't like one where I was like Parker's Porter sucks. I mean, like the the counters that Dacus was throwing. I mean, he was a he had some underrated speed for a heavyweight, in my opinion. You know, kind of like a uh, Bozer or you know uh, you know uh, he looks you know big and slow, but the hand speed I was impressed with, man. So man, I'm actually taking for the upset. I, I just think the lines off. But uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not saying Nasa Cemento's a fraud, but I just feel like it's a closer to a 50-50 fight. So the, the odds are super wide. So I'll go with the uh, Dockers. Yeah, look, I respect the pick. Uh, man, I- I'm still not sure what to think about Dockers because I agree with you. He's been losing weight. He's been looking better. He's also a black belt. So it might not be as easy for Rodrigo Nascimento. But, you know, going into that last Rodrigo Nascimento fight, I felt like there was not much footage of him on the regional scene. And, and he kind of impressed me in that debut, man. I know it was a hand-picked opponent, but, like, not even the fact that he just took him down and submitted him and stuff. But even on the feet, you know, the head kicks, uh, I like what I see. I feel like he's slightly more athletic. So I, I do agree with you. The line can be closer, but I'll slightly lean with the favorite to get it done here. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Tom Breeze, he's 11-2, and and KB Bueller is 8-0. Currently, they got Tom Breeze minus 260. The comeback on KB Bueller is plus 220. Now, Shaka, one thing I got to say is that KB Bueller single-handedly avoided the biggest ass-whooping in Contender Series history because he was supposed to go in there against Bruno Oliveira. And not only was that going to be my first Contender Series bet ever, it was going to be my first Contender Series max bet ever because Bruno Oliveira was going to go out there, finish him in the first round. But now uh, he gets to fight Tom Breeze. And look, this fight isn't even about KB Bueller, man. This fight is about Tom Breeze. If I know for a fact that Tom Breeze is going to show up on Saturday night... Tom Breeze is going to mop the floor with this guy, man. I mean, Tom Breeze is better everywhere the fight goes. He's got better boxing, better jujitsu, more experience, the whole bit. It's just that I don't know Tom Breeze personally. I don't I don't have any inside information in his camp, so I don't know where his headspace is at. And, and that that's just the unfortunate truth here because when we talk about KB Bueller, I mean, he's just he, the only thing he's got going for him is that he's 6 foot 4. I mean, he, he doesn't have that much power. 
he's not bad or anything. Don't get me wrong. He's not bad. He's just kind of average, kind of like if you gas out against him, he can be kind of opportunistic. That's about the extent of it. So this is really about Tom Breeze and nothing else. And uh, I think if Tom Breeze shows up here, he's going to win this fight, Shaq. And, uh, you know, uh, this ain't Ian Heinish anymore, man. This ain't Brendan Allen anymore. This is uh, the reason that he's fighting, you know, because at first I was like, well, why didn't they call up Bruno Oliveira? Why'd they call up this guy? It's like... I get it. Let's get Tom Breeze back on track. Bruno Oliveira would knock out Tom Breeze in the first round. Uh, but here, this is a fight where he might be like, you know what? I can show up against this guy. I can beat this guy. And I think Tom Breeze is getting back on track Saturday night, man. So I got Tom Breeze for the win. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Breeze should get on track. And I'll say if Breeze wants to fight, then he'll win this fight, you know? But if he still has some hesitancy about fighting and if he's still questioning if he wants to fight and if he'd prefer to do jujitsu matches, which is what I see him. I have a little hesitancy because it's like I'm seeing him do all these jujitsu matches, but it's like, bro, do you do you want to fight or do you want to do jujitsu? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, KB Bueller wants to fight. Now, on the uh, like you said, KB Bueller, there's nothing special about him. The only thing is, if he does sense a guy, you know, doesn't want to fight, then he will turn up on you. And he, he does get caught with some big shots, but hey, he's got a good chin. And you know, I've seen him come back. It's just you know, his best win is Matt Dwyer, and Matt Dwyer is like, you know, kind of a can. And I mean, he kind of struggled with Dwyer, but I will say, KB Bueller at least has a fighting spirit. As where Breeze. Yeah, we can say, you know, it's not, uh, you know, Heinish, but like you remember, he did pull out of a fight with Aluwali Bengbozi, which is like a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, it's like, Tom, we can, we can submit this guy, you know, <laughs> like, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to pull out of the fight, bro. One, one takedown and, and you'll be out of, and, uh, you know, we can get him out of here. But, you know, look, I'm not going to make that much fun about it, but look, I think Breeze is going to be my pick to win, but I have a lot of hesitancy just because, yeah, he lost, it's Brennan Allen. Brennan's, you know, doing his thing, but there was no effort in that, Dan. He quit right away the second things got tough, and if he if he keeps making that a habit, man, then KB Bueller will come out here and get a win, but I'll, I'll go with Breeze. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Yusuf Zolali's 10-2 and, and Ilya Taporia is 8-0. Currently, they got Yusuf Zalal minus 170. The comeback on Ilya Taporia is plus 150. So uh, this is the UFC debut of Ilya Taporia. Fights out of Georgia. Not Georgia where we're from, but Georgia where Marab Dualishwili's from. And similar to Marab, this kid's a takedown machine. This is a great signing by the UFC. And honestly, man, this is the first time since uh, Yusuf Zalal's regional fights where he lost those two back-to-back fights that he fights a, a very strong wrestler. Because these three UFC fights, uh, I got to give Zalal a lot of credit. You know, he's a good point fighter, got great calf kicks, nice entries to his takedowns. The fight IQ's on point, and I, I just like the kid. He, he comes to win fights, so I respect him. But uh, this is a, this is kind of a different challenge. So how you see this fight going, man? Yeah, you know, I feel like Zalal's undefeated, but, I, but to be honest, I you know, Peter Barrett's a nice guy, but, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I know he was undefeated, but... but uh, I have doubts if he's going to keep his job in a few years, you know what I'm saying? Or, for example, Jordan Griffin was pretty, you know, Jordan Griffin was pretty much losing an entire fight to TJ Brown at one point and, and you know, Paul was able to pull off a submission. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, these guys that he's been fighting are, like, real, you know, flaky, sketchy, as where I feel like, uh, 
uh, Ilya, Ilya, man, is the best opponent he's going to fight by far. You know, Ilya, you know, he's got the experience in Cage Warriors. He, he's fought good opponents on the local scene. He's shown that he's got good power. He's shown that he can come back from adversity. I've seen him get dropped with a head kick in a fight and come back and win the fight by finish. So, you know, he uh, he's a very tough guy. He picks guys up in the air and that's something uh Zalal has struggled with in the past but I feel like he's gotten a little bit better uh with it but at the same time he's been doing it against guys that I feel like are not up to par so uh I feel like it's honestly you know it's closer to a 50-50 fight Zalal's got good footwork like all those factory x guys uh like Gutierrez and Roy Vall and all these other dudes that they have, man, they're, they're super hard to track. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if it's just one of these things where, you know, it, it, is Ilya in good enough shape and is he going to – because most of his wins are by finish and he – I'm not sure. Has he been the distance yet? Uh, no, he hasn't even been maybe, to the third round yet. Yeah, exactly. So he's a, he's a finisher. And, yeah, it, it is in the back of my mind uh, if he's, if he's going to be able to have the cardio because, look, Zalal is out there. Them Factory X boys are out there dancing all over the cage, man. It's hard to uh, get a hold of them. But all of them have a similar flaw, man. Their wrestling is very shaky. Gutierrez, Roy Val, uh, you know, Yusef. So, you know, I feel like uh, if Ilya is able to close the distance and uh, get on top of him, that he, this, he could possibly give Zola a lot of problems. So I think it is closer to a 50-50 fight. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Zalal just got the better of it as the fight progresses. But, hey, I'll go with the dog. I feel like it's some value. I'll go with Ilya. I think he can get enough takedowns. And I do think he can win a decision uh, just with those takedowns. But I, it's going to be a tough fight, man, either way you look at it, just because this is a step up for both guys. Both guys are going to take damage in this fight. But I see this being Yusuf Zalal's first real, real fight like since griffin not saying griffin's not a, a real fight because griffin's experience but you know griffin makes a lot of mistakes that's where i feel like Ilya is young hungry just like him so we'll see yeah look uh i like zalal a lot uh he's got the calf kick game like i mentioned good takedowns just the fight iq doesn't take a lot of damage so i respect him a lot definitely someone i've been keeping an eye out for but let's just be honest about the guys he's been fighting uh when you talk about Austin Lingo, he's known for like a big overhand right. He's not a takedown threat at all. When you talk about Jordan Griffin, he's known for kind of getting dominated and then coming back with opportunistic submissions. He's not known for being a takedown threat. When you talk about Peter Barrett, he's just kind of like a Boston meathead brawler, kind of like Kyle Bochniak. He's not a takedown threat either. So this is the first real takedown threat Yusuf Zalal's fought since those two back-to-back -back fights he lost in LFA. And... Uh, you know, I, I guess the criticism for Ilya, and I, it's not a criticism on my part, but people are saying he's never been to the third round, he's never been the distance. Well, none of these guys can hang with him, and uh, he he can overcome adversity. He's tough too because his last fight, he fought a six foot one opponent, and that six foot one opponent dropped him with a head kick. And right then and there, he could have covered up, let the ref intervene. It would have only been his first L, and no one would have held it against him. Bounced back better, but he gets back up, and then he starches the guy. So. I feel like his hands have been catching up because you watch some of his earlier fights and he was just strictly a grappler, but now his entire game is starting to get more well-rounded. I like what he brings to the table, and uh, I actually agree with you here. Uh, I think he's going to come out here and get the upset, and I think this might be one of the last times we do see him as an underdog in the UFC. Now, one thing I want to point out, uh, similar to Marab, uh, 
you know, Marab had to pay his dues. You know, Marab actually came out here and lost his first two UFC fights. So if Ilya's got to take his first L, you know, I understand. But, man, I think it's a good stylistic matchup for him. So I'm going to roll with Ilya in this spot. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Tom Aspinall. He's 8-2. and two, And Alan Badeau is 8-1. and one. But actually, he's 7-2 and because he lost his last fight, Shaq. But we'll get into that in a second. Currently, they got Tom Aspinall... Minus 580, the comeback on Alan Badeau is plus 440. So, uh, Shaq, uh, listen, man, I like this kid Tom Aspinall a lot. I think that he's a very bright prospect in the heavyweight division. Uh, and oftentimes, these guys at heavyweight, they don't come into their prime until they're in their late 30s, even early 40s. This kid's 25 years old. He's got the black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's six foot five, and he uh, actually trains his boxing with Tyson Fury. So, And he's in there with Darren Till as well. So... I, I like what this kid brings to the table, man. And with Alan Badeau, oh, man. Uh, firstly, he comes from that TKO scene in, in Canada, which is extremely suspect. Uh, you saw last week the biggest favorite on the card, Air Jordan, you know, minus 600 favorite, goes to a draw, gets dropped in the first round. The week prior, you see TJ Laramie getting submitted in under a minute. So I, no offense to, to all our Canadian fans. We love you guys. But, man, I feel like that TKO scene doesn't really bring their prospects up the right way, uh, kind of like our scene does. Um, so the reason I bring that up is because this kid, Badeau, is from that TKO scene. And let's be honest, he lost his last fight. He got choked out in the third round his last fight. But for whatever reason, they overturned it. They called it a win uh, for him, which uh, is not a win at all. And he's going out here, you know, throwing somersaults and, spamming spins and just doing a bunch of unnecessary shit. And also, Shaq, I mentioned how he was from the TKO scene. You know how I said TKO is a suspect? You know another regional scene that's really suspect? That EFC scene, the South African scene. And I know you remember when Dalcha Lunjambula made his UFC debut and we were scouting him, and you remember how he uh, face-planted this random guy in 20 seconds? Well, that random guy is Alan Badeau, and now he's making his UFC debut. Look, Sergey Spivak pulled out the fight. They needed someone to take it on short notice, and uh, I, I think Saturday night in Yas Island, Abu Dhabi, at Fight Island, Tom Aspinall is going to knock Alan Badeau out in the first round. So I, I got Tom Aspinall here. Yeah, I'm going to be quick with this one. Alan Badeau, he, he's in big fucking trouble, man. I mean, uh, Aspinall is going to run through him. I'm going to say first-round submission. Uh, this guy shouldn't be in the UFC, and for this will be called a squash match, man. You know, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, these these uh, these I hate to say it, but these bums have to come in here and uh, take take an ass whooping. So yeah. So next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Marcus Maluco Perez. He's twelve and three, and Drikus Duplessis is fourteen and two. Currently, they got Drikus Duplessis, minus 160. The comeback on Marcus Perez is plus 140. So, Shaq, I mentioned that EFC scene. Well, guess what? This kid, Drikus Duplessis, also comes from that EFC scene. But I will give him some credit. He went over to KSW, had some success there, even uh, knocked out one of their top prospects, uh, Solodich, I believe his name is. Uh, now they fought twice. You know, uh, KSW was like, wait a second, you didn't just knock out our top prospects. So they threw him in there again. And then, you know, uh, what was supposed to happen the first time happened the second time. Soldich knocked him out. But look, I, I got to give, uh, you know, uh, Duplessis some credit because six years ago he was out here losing to guys like Gareth McClellan, which, I mean, that's a that's a big red flag, man. Even though it was six years ago because, like, you look at guys that we're high on, like whether it's Dustin Poirier or like Max Holloway or like John Jones, like 
I don't give a fuck if they're 17 years old, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old. They're not going to be caught dead losing to guys like Gareth McClellan. So I don't give a shit how long ago it was. That's a, a huge red flag, especially when you're talking about a favorite here. Yeah, yeah. And- Real quick, you remember uh, when Gareth McClellan fought Alessio and Alessio looked like dog shit, but he still How could won. I forget? <laughs> <laughs> you know we had money on Alessio yeah, that I night? I was like, Alessio! <laughs> Alessio, wait! <laughs> so, uh, listen, man. Uh, Drikas Duplessis, uh, this is what he's got going on. He's a pretty big dude, and he's very tough. You know what I mean? He's got a good guillotine, but a lot of his wins are comebacks. You know, he'll get taken down easily. He'll kind of get dominated in fights, but he finds a way to come back, so I give him credit for that, but usually when, when I want to bet on comeback guys, I want to bet them at dog odds. I don't want to lay chalk on them, and with Maluko... You know, he's a good gatekeeper, entry-level UFC fighter. You know what I mean? He's going to let you know if you belong in the UFC or not. And and he'll fight tough. You know what I mean? He's got a hard body kick from the southpaw stance. He, his best element, though, his best attributes are his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu. You know, he gets takedowns in a lot of fights. He's got a good back take, good guillotine, good darts, good anaconda, good rear naked choke. So... You know, if uh, Duplessis gets off to another slow start, there's a chance that Perez can come out here and possibly submit him, dangle off his neck, welcome into the UFC. The thing I'm worried about, man, is that Marcus Maluco gets bullied in a lot of these fights, man. He's easy to push back into the fence, and then he starts getting tired. He starts spamming these spins, and he starts, uh, you know, doing some questionable shit out there. So that's what I'm most worried about, but... Honestly, I kind of think it's a 50-50 fight, so I'll, I'll slightly lean with the dog, Marcus Maluco, to get it done. But there's a chance I'm way off, and maybe Duplessis is this prospect like everyone's talking about. But as of right now, I didn't really see it in the tape, so I'll roll with uh, Marcus Maluco. Yeah, man, this is a fight where I, I'm really not high on either guy. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, I've been saying that with Maluco, uh, even when he was supposed to fight Spicy, man, I, I had some hesitant, like, I had hesitancy to bet him at minus two something against Eric Spicely because on tape, I, I finally just came to the realization that, man, there's a chance Marcus Maluco Perez might not even be UFC level just due to the fact that he's an undersized middleweight. He gets pushed back very, very easily. And another thing, like how many spinning elbows are you going to attempt before you realize like, bro, okay, like, I get it, you know, Maluko, what does that mean, like, crazy man or something like that? But, like, you know, like, dude, like, stop with the spinning shit. Like, it gets him in so much trouble where now that, get, you know, that makes him gas out, that gets him in the clinch, that fatigues him, and he, he just keeps doing it. So it's like, you know, sometimes it works, but it has to be, like, you know, uh, a, a bottom-of-the-barrel, like, bum for him to for him to get that type of stuff on, like Fluffy Hernandez or uh, – it's funny because Fluffy Hernandez beat Brendan Allen, but, you know, uh, <laughs> but or uh, James Boshnevik, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I feel like, man, Maluko, he needs to do something, man. I heard he had to go back to work and get a – and get a real job uh, before this fight, man. Because, but maybe, maybe that's what he needed to realize. Like, man, I gotta, I gotta get my uh, my shit together, man. Or I'm gonna be out the UFC, man. I'm gonna be back fighting Paulo Tiago's, you know, in, in jungle fights. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, uh, he better do something. This other guy, man, I'm not too impressed with him. I think he's tough, and I do think he has a, you know, a template to bully and maybe outwork uh, Maluko and out physical him and push him in the fence. Not gonna lie. 
But man, I see it as a 50-50 fight. I agree. I, I feel like I got to go with the more experienced guy, the guy that's been in there with Eric Anders, the guy that's been in there with Andrew Sanchez. So I'm going to go with uh, Marcus Maluco Perez. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Big Ben Rothwell. He's 38-12, and 12, and Marcin Tybura is 19-6. and six. Currently, they got Big Ben Rothwell minus 150. The comeback on Marcin Tybura is plus 130. So, Shaq, there's only three ways I can see this fight going. Either it's going to be a Ben Rothwell knockout, either it's going to be a Marcin Tybura grind, or it's going to be one of those heavyweight shit show fights. So, out of those three options, uh, which way you see it going? Yeah, you know, I agree, man. It's a good chance. Like, look, like I like when I watch tape, it, you know, on this fight, it's screaming trap, you know, it's screaming like, I know, I know Tybura doesn't like getting hit and, you know, he backs up and he covers up when he gets hit. But, you know, man, Rothwell, man, in times kind of drops the ball, you know, when he fought Arlovsky, he was chalked there and, you know, he lost that fight. Um, when he fought Blagoy Ivanov, even though a lot of people thought he won, he was chalked there. He lost that fight too. Uh, and then, you know, he was able to pick up the win against OSP, which I actually did think it was uh, more improved because, you know, he was out, you know, after his uh, not first but second uh, steroid suspension, uh, you know. So, you know, we have to remember that he is fighting without that, you know. Remember when he was on that stuff, man, my boy Big Ben was out here tapping Josh Barnett out and shit and, and you know, making Matt Mitrione tap, tap uh, you know, cry for mama in there, you know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, remember man. that uh, remember that dance he did in the third round against Brandon Vera? Yeah, you know, and then he turned up on him and knocked him out. <laughs> yeah, so man, I feel like uh, Tybora, he's coming off two wins. He got the uh, the win over Spivak, a young kid, was able to you know show the experience there, and then the Maxine Grishin fight. Eh, you know that guy's a two hundred fiver. Uh, man, I feel like there is some openings for Tybora to counter Rothwell. And he does, he can, he does have the ability to strike moving backwards. Like Tybura has the ability. It's all about what's going on in that heart and upstairs, man, with that dude. Like, you never know. I honestly feel like skill-wise, it's an even fight, but there is no denying that Rothwell does put pressure. He does, you know, behave as the tougher guy, the guy that's willing to take more chances in there. But Rothwell gets hit a lot. He takes a lot of damage in his fights. I mean, every Big Ben fight, his face is pretty much bloodied up. Um, I, I, I think he's going to tough this one out and be a little tougher, but it would not shock me if Tybora was able to weasel a, a sloppy heavyweight decision here and, you know, maybe mix in the head kick upstairs because Ben fights with his hands down and he squares his stance a lot, man. And a heavyweight, that's dangerous. Um, it, but, you know, Tybura on the, on the flip side, man, his toughness is always in question, but Right now, man, he's off two wins. Like, he should be starting to feel like, you know, somewhat of his old self, man. So we'll see. But uh, I'll go with Big Ben, but I'll say by sweaty, close split decision. I know a lot of people think he's going to knock him out, man, and I see it. And I see it. Look, but I don't think Big Ben is a Sakai or a, or a Verdum or, you know, uh, the, one of, uh, who else did he get knocked out against? Uh, Black Beast, you know. I don't, I don't see him being one of those guys, so. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, look, uh, man, ever since Ben Rothwell came back from that suspension, he's just looked God slow, man. Like 
dude, like that Arlovsky fight, Arlovsky was out there looking like Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. My, like, my boy needs his juice, bro. He needs his juice back. Yeah, he hasn't done that dance that he did against Brandon Vera in like three, four years. You know what I mean, man? So, And also, like, the Blagoy, even that fight, he was looking slow. The Stefan Struve fight, he's losing the entire fight until the controversial low blow followed by the finish. And then the OSP fight was, let's be honest, let's call it for what it is, was one of those shit show heavyweight fights, man. So... Yeah, and then Tybora, you know, he's been gaining weight. He's not the most confident. He's really shaky, too. So I, I don't really know. I'm just going to pick Rothwell because I think he's tougher. I think he hits harder. I think he can go forward. But, again, I would not be surprised by the weasel job by Tybora, like you mentioned, or if he gets grinded out. But I'll, I'll, I'll uh, edge Rothwell here. Co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We got Edson Jr. Barboza. He's 20 and 9. And Makwan, Mr. Finland, Amir Khani is 16 and 4. Currently, they got Edson Barboza minus 270. The comeback on Makwan Amir Khani is plus 230. So there's a lot of talk about Edson Barboza being washed. And let me just say this, man. While, yeah, he's closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning of his career, it, it, it's not like a Tyron Woodley situation. Like, Tyron Woodley won't even throw a punch. Tyron Woodley's losing 15 straight rounds. Tyron Woodley, you know, has lost over an octagon, over an hour of octagon time straight. Whereas Edson Barboza, he's losing to these guys, but, like, he's still winning rounds in these fights. He's still fighting competitively with top 10 guys. So, like, he, he's still in there. He's still hanging in there, man. Can, like, in the. Can I say something? Yeah. So, uh,. You know, to counter that, you know, I'd say, uh, I mean, Woodley, yes, he has lost his last 15 rounds, but to to the number, the three best dudes in the division, you know, and Edson, you know, at one point was top five. Now he's losing the dudes named Dan Ige, you know what I'm saying? Um, but no, I'm saying, would, would Woodley lose? Would would Woodley lose 20 straight rounds if he got matched up with – not yeah. Pro, hold on. Let me take that. I was going to say Magni. He probably would lose 20, 20 straight rounds. Yeah. <laughs> the difference here is that, like, Woodley won't even throw a punch anymore. So I, I got Cerrone over Woodley. I got pretty much anyone over Woodley at this point because Woodley just – won't fight. Whereas Barboza will still fight. He just isn't going to be a top five guy anymore. Like Dan Ige, I know he would have never lost to him a million years ago, but like Dan Ige is like a top 10, top 15 guy. Paul Felder's a top 10, top 15 guy. And, you know, Barboza still winning rounds against these guys. Whereas Makwan Amirkani is not a top five guy, not a top 10 guy, not a top 15 guy. And in my opinion, is not a top 20 guy. And that's no disrespect because Makwan Amirkani, he's won a bunch of fights in the UFC. And I think that, look, if he gets one submission attempt on Barboza, the fight could be over. You know, if like he gets his arms around Barboza's neck, I'm not convinced Barboza isn't tapping. The thing is that for him to get to that point, he's just got to have to go through some heat where, like, I I'm not sure he's able to go through that, man. And also, I feel like while they both might have cardio issues, I feel like Makwan has got the worst cardio here. And I, I'm just not convinced that he can take Barboza down and do do his game plan here. The only person to take down Barboza in the last, like, four or five fights is uh, Ige in that third round. And he had to go through some shit, man. He almost got finished in the first and second round in that fight. So I, I, I just think that there's levels to this shit. And when, when Barboza wins this fight and then he gets matched up with Sodiq, then we, then we can uh, follow up on our initial plan. But this is not Sodiq anymore. This is Makwan. 
I don't think he's on this level. So I, I got Edson Barboza here, man. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely got Edson. You know, I think uh, Maquan has cardio issues, like you said. And on the in, in the striking man out in space, it's a it, it's a possible mismatch, one hundred percent. I mean, uh, Maquan likes to press with the takedowns, but Edson's been taken down more than uh, just Dan Ige in that third round. The Kevin Lee fight, man, he got completely fucking dominated. Uh, I mean, they, these are top notch guys, definitely not. Uh, Maquan's definitely not on that level, but you know, man, things just keep happening to Edson that used to would have never happened to him you know so that is kind of in the back of my mind when we talk about laying that type of line on him uh you know at this stage and at this health in his career but you know makwana Khani, man it's a big difference you know fighting chris fishgold and you know danny, danny henry, henry and jason knight and mike wilkinson you know the, <laughs> you know the, it's, it's nice and dandy on those little euro cards but you know, uh, now we're talking, look, even at like, you know, like you were saying, you still got to go through hell, hell, somewhat hell to beat Edson. Like Ige, who was a step down for him, still got his calf smashed, a, a body, a vicious body shot dropped. I mean, he, he had to go through shit to uh, to accomplish that win. And Makwan Americani has shown, man, whenever he takes shots like that, he kind of folds, man. The Burgos fight, uh, which was his one, you know, some in uh, Arnold Allen, you know, that was what, you know, got him the L's. Every time he got cracked really hard on the chin, I mean, it was a clear reaction. So, yeah, I see Edson Barboza taking the win. He should come out here and light Americani. It's just, man, I am nervous just because, like, you know, sometimes I feel like these guys want it more than him, you know. I feel like, you know, Maquan might want it more than him. Uh, this is a, a, you know, a big fight, the biggest fight of his career. I feel like Ige beat him on one, and, and I feel like a lot of guys have beaten Edson on one. So, you know, we'll see. But uh, sometimes, you know, it's not about skills. It's about who wants it more. So, you know, I'll, I'll take Edson, but uh, it's a it's a dogger pass for me. Main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division, we got Magic Marlon Marais. He's 23-6, and six, and Corey the Sandman Sanhagen is 12-2. and two. Currently, they got Corey Sanhagen minus 140. The comeback on Marlon Marais is plus 120. So, Shaq, the line has flipped. Vegas opened it minus 135 for Magic Marlon Marais. The public disagrees. They think Corey Sanhagen should be the favorite. So, we alluded to it. We alluded it at the beginning of the show. Uh, you got the output king, uh, Corey Sanhagen, or you got the head kick king, Magic Marlon Marais here. I feel like this is a great matchup, man. Uh, you got, like you said, Corey Sanhagen. He likes to move forward. He likes to feint, switch stance, do the whole, you know, Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw thing. And then you got Magic Marlon Marais was coming in with that dynamic Muay Thai game, vicious power. One of the more, I mean, he is the hardest hitter at Bantamweight. That's just facts. I mean, uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, look, either way, Either guy is going to be a tough fight. Can uh, Corey Sanhagen weather those that first five to seven minute storm, that vicious power that's coming from Marlon uh, Marais? And look, Corey Sanhagen has had a lot of trouble in the early stages of his fights. Look at his last fight against Aljamain Sterling. He let Aljamain come out and rush him right away, and that was different from the majority of his other fights where Corey Sanhagen likes to come out and uh, be the guy leading the dance. Look at when he fought uh, Yuri Alcantara. Yuri Alcantara dropped him in the in the first round. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are saying if Marais gets to the third, fourth, fifth round, which historically speaking have given him trouble 100%, uh, 
uh, that this fight is going to be in the bag for Sanhagen. But look, Sanhagen's lost third rounds in the past, and I feel like his third round ability is slightly a little inflated just because I feel like, you know, the Rafael Asunza fight, look, all due respect to Rafael Asunza, but since Magic Marlon Marais finished him down there in uh, Brazil, that it's been over ever since then. I mean, at that age, when you get up to that point and then you get knocked down like that, I you don't come back and you see what's happened to Asunza since then. So I feel like uh, he was able to feast on the carcasses there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like... I honestly feel like that win has a slightly a little bit too much dog. I don't. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I don't think Rafael Asuncao is no longer a top ten guy at, at bantamweight with the dudes in that division now, man. Like fucking, like honestly. And and then, you know, with Marlon Marais, I feel like uh, what I'm getting to, man. I feel like there's a lot of emotions in this fight. Well, a lot of people are holding this grudge against Magic Marlon Marais because they felt that he lost to Jose Aldo his last fight. And, and I feel like they're kind of, you know. And real quick, real quick, Shai, sorry to interrupt. And because they bet him big against Henry Cejudo. Exactly, exactly. You know, I was actually on my boy Henry Cejudo in that fight. At, how can you not take Henry at underdog money against anyone? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, yeah, I know Henry can do that, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if. You know, these other dudes can do that. Yeah, Henry Cejudo, like the Olympic gold medalist, that dude that beat Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson and knocked TJ Dillashaw out in under a minute can do that. But, like, you know, these other dudes, I don't know about that, man. So I feel like, honestly, Marlon Marais' stock is low for emotional reasons, man. I feel like a lot of people are pissed, like you said, that he lost to Henry, that he let everyone down, and they tried to get it back with Jose Aldo, and then he was able to come back and win. And now I feel like it's trickling into this fight. Now, look, I'm not confident that he's going to win. Look, look, I agree. Yeah, he fatigues. Yeah, you know, if he doesn't get first-round knockouts, things usually get a little sketch. I 100% agree. I just feel like Corey Sanhagen might possibly want to be, be these dudes that, I don't want to say overachieved, but maybe things might come back down to a little bit of reality for him. I mean, look, he came into the UFC and just swept right up into that top five like it was nothing. Now he might go through a little bit of growing pain, so, you know, fighting at the Sterlings and the Magic Marlin Marises. I mean, Sanhagen a few years ago was just a kid on the local scene, man. So, like, I, I like Sanhagen. I definitely see the the path for him to win with the volume. But to be honest, man, I feel like Marlon Marais deserves to be the favorite here, man. I feel like he's finished guys, you know, higher level guys, uh, beaten Jose Aldo, who Peter Yan just beat for the title. Like, I feel like Marlon Marais is just getting disrespected a little bit too much in this spot. Um, I see it being a close fight either way, but I see Magic Marlon Marais at some point clipping Corey Sanhagen with, you know, or breaking him down with the calf kicks. I see an effort in that Jose Aldo fight. I saw an effort of him trying to to pace himself a little better. I mean, look, that Henry Cejudo fight was a nightmare for him. I mean, he got broken in a way. I feel like his confidence going into the Jose Aldo fight was a little low. And I mean, the fight Jose Aldo on low confidence and still beat him, man, you know, just shows me the type of fighter that he is. And I feel like now he's going to be even more confident. Uh, and I feel like he's going to get back on track, man. I feel like Magic Marlon Marais is still the the number one guy in this division outside of Peter Yan. So we'll see. Look, 
the matchmaking is interesting. Um, obviously, it's a great matchup stylistically. You know, the the volume versus the power, the the pace versus you know the number one guy on planet Earth. But it's like when you get stopped in ninety seconds, like he did versus Aljamain, that you don't you don't go ahead and fight the number one guy on planet Earth. You take a step back. You fight a Jimmy Rivera. You fight a Pedro Munoz. You fight a Rob Font. I feel like those would have been more suitable opponents because. I do think that Corey Sanhagen's got top five potential, and I officially he's a top five guy. He's ranked number four in the world, but it's just like he's only in the top five because he beat a forty-year-old Asunsa, which we both bet him there against Asunsa. Great fucking matchup for him, and. You know, this whole thing about, you know, if it goes past the first round, that automatically Corey's going to win. I mean, maybe that's the case, but I just think that's kind of bullshit. Like, did you you want to know a little stat? You know that Magic Marlon Marais has won more decisions than Corey Sanhagen in his career? And also, he's the only one out of the two that's been to the fourth and fifth round in his career before. So it's just a different level of experience. Like, to, to sit here and say that all he's got to do is get is get past the first round, it's like you have to be a certain level to weather this kind of storm by uh, Magic Marlin. You have to actually be a top five guy to weather this storm. And I do think that Corey can be a top five guy in our eyes. Officially, he's a top five guy right now. But in our eyes, I think he can be a top five guy one day. I'm just not convinced that he's that guy right now, man. Like, for example, um, the Yuri Alcantara fight, I mean, dude, he's tough as hell, uh, Corey Sanhagen, uh, to walk through the you know the shots he did. He did get dropped, and he did get his face smashed. And, you know, luckily he's double-jointed, so he survived that arm bar. And then, you know, Yuri pulled a Brazilian stun, and he got pounded out. But, like, even in the Lineker fight, I felt like Corey was starting to slow down in that third round, man, because when you throw that kind of output, naturally, you're going you're gonna to have to slow down at some point, man, when you're throwing that many strikes. And I did feel like he was barely hanging on in that third round versus John. John Lineker and John Lineker is a five foot three former flyweight man. Now we're talking about the number one guy on planet Earth. And again, there's a difference between being an output machine and a cardio machine. And I feel like people are acting like those are the same things. Those are not the same things, man. There's a huge difference between the two. Frankie Edgar is a cardio machine. Corey Sanhagen's output machine. But I'm just not convinced that he can maintain that output throughout a five-round duration. And also, just stylistically speaking, he's a very tall kid for the division, 5'10", 5'11". I feel like Marlon Marais is going to come out here, chop down the tree with those calf kicks, get the kid to start switching stances. Eventually, Corey's going to start wobbling on one leg. And then I think that Magic's going to land, you know, the fight-ending blow with the head kick. And back to the Jose Aldo example, like, yeah, like, uh, Magic won the first round. Jose won the second round, and Marlon edged it in the third. And to act like it's a big deal that he lost the second round to Aldo, guys, Peter Yan lost the second round to Aldo. So I just don't see why you're going to hold that against him. So, look, there's no question that fights do get kind of sketchy when they go out the first round with Marlon, but, like, Henry Cejudo had to go through hell to win that fight. Henry Cejudo had to dig deep to a place where not many people are willing to go. I don't know if y'all remember, but that first and second round, people were saying that Henry Cejudo, he looks lost out there. He looks like this fight's about to be over. Marlon Marais looks like a champion. And for Henry Cejudo to weather a storm like that, like, like you said, man, Olympic gold medalist, flyweight champion, bantamweight champion, like triple C. This is this is a unique individual. And I like Corey Sanhagen. I, I respect him a lot. I'm just not convinced that he's that guy 
guy right now. So for that reason, I'm going Marlon Marais. I think he gets the stoppage. And I do think that Corey will be back. It's just that I think Corey should be fighting the Pedro Munozes, the Rob Font, the Jimmy Riveras, even like Frankie Edgar. I'm not convinced he's ready for this level yet. I think that last fight proved it. And, yeah, he might not get his back taken and get choked out in the first round. But, like, I expected a little bit more resistance in that Aljamain Sterling fight. Like, that was a big letdown in my eyes. I'm not sure where his confidence is right now. You need a tune-up fight. You don't just go and fight the number one guy in the world after getting stopped at 90 seconds, man. So, yeah, um, I, I get everyone's angle with the volume, but, like, I just don't think he's quite developed and seasoned yet for the, for this spot. So I'm going Magic Marlin via knockout. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Fight Island 5? Uh, my fight to watch is going to be uh, Yusef Zalal versus uh, Ilya, man. I feel like Yusef Zalal, is he, if he's able to come out here and get this win, man, and go 4 0 uh, his first year in the UFC, man. That'll carry a lot of momentum into 2021. Uh, and it'll probably be one of the top prospects, if not the top prospect in that division. And if Ilya comes out here and gets gets the win, man, that's a knocking off a prospect like Yusef, especially with his young age as well. Then you're going to have to keep a, a new uh, lookout for him. And these Georgians, man, you got Marab, Chikadze is fighting, the uh, the dude that knocked out Cadiz, I forget it, what's his, uh, Roman, you know. So, yeah, man, I feel like uh, the Georgians are coming up here too. So, yeah. You know, my girl Jojua got a first round jo- finish too. Jojua, I mean, Georgia's <laughs> going crazy right now, man. Yeah, like for me, my fight to watch is a no-brainer. It's uh, Giga Chikazi versus Omar Morales. Uh, I mean, I see like 0% chance that this fight is boring. And not only that, it's a big fight for two featherweight prospects that are hungry, that want to take it to that next level. And just stylistically speaking, such a fantastic matchup. So, And also, when I'm not really sure who's going to win, that automatically makes it one of the fights to watch. So my fight to watch is Omar Morales versus Giga Chikazi. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Fight Island 5? My fighter to watch, man, is going to be in the main event, man. Uh, Magic Marlon Marais, man. I feel like just the – I just feel like it's blatant disrespect, Daniel, man. I I, I feel like it's emotional. I mean, because, bro, me and you both watched the Jose fight – uh, you know, I was I was there with you watching that when he fought Jose, and you know everyone there was confident Jose had won. But I looked at you, I was like, I mean, me and you were confident that uh, Marais won, man. So you know, uh, I feel like uh, people are just you know discrediting what he's done, and you know, I feel like uh, his stock's low for you know uh, this Jose Aldo fight, and I feel like people should put some respect on his name. But hey, maybe Corey Sanhagen comes out here and proves me wrong. But I feel like Magic Marlon Marais, man, with a vicious knockout this weekend is going to remind everyone uh, why uh, just a year ago he was, you know, I remember going into the Suhudo fight. Magic Marlon Marais was fucking Jesus. I mean, and I, and I mean that, like, literally everyone thought that Henry Suhudo was a, a sacrificial lamb going into that fight. It was a foregone conclusion that Magic was going to win that fight. People were talking about like putting their whole accounts on Magic in that fight. I, I remember that shit too. And now they're the same exact talk on Corey Sanhagen. It's interesting uh, how this game works. Uh, for me, uh, my fighter to watch is Tom Aspinall. Look, uh, it's not often that you see these young heavyweight prospects come along. Like we got Cyril Gaon. I think he's the only you know heavyweight prospect in his twenties. Besides, uh, is he in his twenties? Let, let, let me make sure I'm not uh, full of shit here. Hold on one second. Yeah, he is. 
Okay, cool. So you got Cyril Gaon, who's in his 20s, and now you got Tom Aspinall, who's 25, actually taking on Cyril Gaon's uh, for, uh, training partner. But between you and me, you know, he, he he's uh, Cyril Gaon's punching bag. But that, that being said, I like what this kid Aspinall brings to the table. He's a very exciting guy to watch. He's very smart if you hear him talk. He's well-rounded. He's got the size. I, I think he's someone to look out for in this heavyweight division. I think he can make some waves, and for that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night. Inyas Island, Abu Dhabi, Fight Island. Magic Marlon Marais versus Corey the Sandman Sanhagen. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We truly appreciate all the support from all the fans. Thank you guys very much. We're going to be back next week for Brian Ortega versus the Korean Zombie. Hell of a fight right there, Shaq. Uh, so thank you again to all our fans. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>